It is Canuck Central coming to you live from the Kintech studio on the road from Rogers Arena. Satyar Shah with Bik Nazar in for Dan Riccio this week. And this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. And as always, keep getting your thoughts into our text inbox, 650-650. A lot of discussions. If you missed the first hour, we delved into the latest reports on the Vancouver Canucks trade-wise with Brock Besser, contract-wise with Bo Horvat, also Thatcher Demko's name, which popped up, who has been placed on injured reserve out at least the next six weeks, it seems like, with what, what is believed to be not, re- not reported or as fact or confirmed, but a growing injury. So we'll see what his status is out. But we also have Frank Cervalli on. So if you missed the first hour, make sure to check it out on the podcast, Canuck Central. We also spoke about Luke Shen, and we've been teasing contract comparables for Luke Shen. If the Canucks are indeed looking to sign Luke Shen, what would it look like for a 33-year-old right sand defenseman who is coming off a two-year contract pick, making a modest $850,000 on the cap this year and last season, and just set the NHL record for most career hits by an NHL defenseman? Big shout-out to him. Of course. Uh... Yeah, so I was looking at it, and again, so Luke Shen's going to be 34 years old when he signs this next contract, right? And just to run some thoughts of, you know, guys at that age who have signed contracts, uh, D-men, uh, you know, you got to go through it, Sat, in, in the past six years. It's a pretty small list. Like, we're talking less than 30s. And, and Luke Shen's part of that list himself, both signing here in Vancouver and in Tampa Bay. Uh, so, you know, he's his own contract comparable yeah. at times. And he, his deal in, in Anaheim, now it's a bit, even a bit younger. But, like, this age range of guys that have played this many games at this age range, like, what is you know what does it look like? Again, there's less than 30. But it generally comes out to about a one-year deal. You can even shade it up a bit higher. The Zach Bogosian one is kind of the high end as far as length. That's a three-year deal. But it's fairly cheap than than I think people realize. It, it could be anywhere like as low as 800k like Luke Shen has signed. Yeah. But the latest one, Michael Delzato signed a 2-year 2 million dollar one in Ottawa. But like even that, like if that's the high end that we're talking about. And Michael Delzato was 31 rather than Luke Shen's thir- soon to be 34. So age plays a bit of a role there. But I think like he's he's endeared himself to the market so much that people are like, give Luke Shen two and a half million dollars, like more than Tucker Poolman, which like I understand it, but you kind of go through like the the actual ranges of contracts. It's pretty small, and so I understand the idea of like, oh, okay, we should explore this before the trade deadline. I think that's still a missed opportunity, but there's a dollar figure that if it happens, I'll understand it. But here's the thing, and and this is what I'll pitch to you. Would you rather pay an extra 250k a year just to say, hey, Luke, we'll overpay for you in free agency? Just help us out here. Yeah, I mean, I would because we're talking about a guy making. Let's say you're offering him 1.1 right now. So let's say you're offering him a two-year deal, 2.2 million total money, and you say, hey, you wait, we'll give you an extra 500k. So we'll give you 2.6 million over two years. Uh, it would be worth it to me because whatever you get back in return, it's at least a and third. I imagine maybe there's a second. Be teams lining up. I think you you might get a second for it. Maybe we saw guys like Labushkin go go for a second round pick, and given 
the toughness he brings, the character he brings, the experience that he brings, I think a team would give up a second round. His contract is so, so easy to absorb. Heck, if you wanted to retain... Let's say there's a team that has less than $500,000 in cap space. They can trade for Luke Shen. Mm -hmm. And as we talked to Frank Valley about, guys who are good players and decent players making little money are more valuable right now because they can fit into your salary cap really, really easily. And those things do matter. So he's a valuable player. I'm with you. I would rather do that I'm as just well. Just trying to think. So he's at 850k right now. Yes. So after the deadline, like I think the total money on that is like less than two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So like, and on the cap, you're talking about it's about two hundred thousand or whatever it is, or three hundred. It'll be about. I, I think it's less than. But three hundred thousand on the cap, maybe. No, like at the deadline. At the deadline, at two hundred thousand. Like it's about a quarter of of the salary remaining on the cap at that point. Uh, yeah. Uh, hang on. If you just talk, I'll do some math here. Yeah, so it's 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 roughly two hundred thousand dollars. So at the deadline, he's a valuable player. Is it a missed opportunity if you don't trade him? Yes, it is. I, I think the best case is trade him and sign him back in the off season. But I'm not sure that ends up happening. But the number, I think, with what you're yeah, looking it's less at, less than two hundred thousand. Less than two hundred thousand. And we're not even talking about retained. So it's just two hundred thousand. What if you retained? Like it's it's nothing. Nothing. So teams that are capped out, a team that's capped out can trade for Luke Shen essentially because teams can figure out a way to get a hundred thousand mm-hmm. in cap space. Easily. Like hundred thousand. That's all you need to find out. There's more than enough teams right now. I know we talked about this earlier. Like, there's more than enough teams right now that could do that at this stage. Let alone how much they accumulate by uh, March third. Like, we're talking about twenty somewhat teams that could fit that in right now. Exactly. So, it shows you what type of asset he potentially could be. So, my guess is, if the Canucks are trying to sign him, Bick, it's going to be a two-year offer somewhere in that between. Two point two to three million in total money would be my guess. The high end would be two million. Like I don't think Luke Shen is getting more than a two-year contract, maximum two 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 year two million. Again, I'll, I'll just read off a couple of these, right? Like Del Zotto signed in twenty twenty one. That was a two-year two million. Justin Braun signed in twenty twenty at age thirty three, two years one point eight. Uh, you can go through this, like Andre. Uh, Sekera signed a two-year one point five million dollar yeah. deal in twenty twenty. It's it, 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 there aren't massive contracts here that you shouldn't be able to make this work. And that's why I kind of look at it and say, hey, the offer we can give you prior to March 3rd, like you said, might be 1.25. And the offer in free agency, just because it's worth getting that second-round pick, third-round pick even, yeah. and just say, hey, we'll give you 1.5 in the offseason, and, and we'll be bidding against ourselves. But the 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 benefit of an extra pick, I love Luke Shen, too. I think he should remain here as a Vancouver Canucks next season. But it's worth that element going through it. One thing about Luke Shen, too, he's already earned $25 million in his career because he was a high pick. He got a decent contract the second time around. I'm not sure how, how much money matters. But I mean, he's willing to – but I'm saying yeah. – uh, I, I think he's happy staying here and signing an extension and being like, I, I don't need to chase the extra few hundred thousand. Like, this that would be my guess. This isn't the JT Miller thing that we went through last summer where it was, this is going to be my generational – Wealth contract, yes, right. Like, we're, we're, we're I, I know it's a couple hundred thousand dollars, and it means a lot to some people. It's like really, you're, you're shrugging off hundred thousand, and it might be important to players, but like this isn't the type of contract where there's a difference between forty nine million dollars yeah. and fifty six million dollars. It's it's a rather small difference, and does living in this part of the world, which has clearly been a priority for Luke Shane, is it worth just waiting out three months? Yeah, well, I think. 
that's the best way to go about it. We'll see where it goes. A lot of reaction on this. Jeffro says, unless you get a first, sign me up for wanting Shen on the Canucks for $1 to $2 million per season. This one unsigned. You have to trade Shen. Why would he want to come back to this clown show? How sure are we sh- Shen even wants to be traded anywhere for another cup? Maybe he just wants to stay here and play. A lot of mixed reaction on Shen. It comes down to your... He doesn't have a no-trade clause. You can. He doesn't... You don't yeah. have to... Ask him. You could trade him if you wanted to. He doesn't really have a lot of say in the process. But one thing is very clear. The fact that the, even if the team is just considering whether they should sign him or trade him shows how valuable he's become sure. to this team and how they view him as a player who's not maybe indispensable. But what did Boudreaux say today? Boudreaux today kind of threw in. It's like about Luke. He was asked about Luke Shen and breaking the record and everything. And he was like, well, you know, uh, he's a guy that teams call and we always say he's not available. What does that kind of tell you? They really value Luke Shen. And for a team that is is very short on character players, guys who do the details right, who who play the right way and, and, and hit all those intangibles we talk about, Luke Shen's one who, who does that with pass with flying colors. And he's so low maintenance. And he brings toughness as well. I think especially if this team is not looking to rebuild, which they're not looking to do in terms of training everybody outside of Hor- uh, Hughes and, and, and Pedersen, then I think they want to have a guy like Luke Shen around. At least that's what it seems like. So they view him but so as such a valuable player right yes, now with this, for this team. I agree. But even if you don't view it as a rebuild set, yes. you know what helps accelerate rebuilds? Getting extra picks. M- more assets. No, I, hey, I don't disagree with you. That's the thing. That's the argument for him. Uh, like on- if you want to do like a Devon Taze type trade that might materialize to you, you got to have seconds and thirds ready for you at, at, at any beck and call. So you have to... Like it's imperative to to weaponize this moment uh, to to bring in more assets and still bring the player back. So, you know, expanding on that, we spoke to Frank Valley and mentioned Umpo Horvat, and, and it's kind of boring. I get it. Like I've I've kind of you know I've taken the moniker as a boring insider. We need like Jeopardy music until March. No, it's like 1st. This, I said. You got you know not, nothing's gonna happen right now. You gotta have you kind of have to wait this out. And that's kind of where we're at. And even Frank mentioned the best time for a best deal, probably the off season. And if you missed the first segment of the show, listen to that, and then listen to Frank, and it all makes sense as to why the off season would be the better time for you to get something tangible, or even get all the money off your books properly. Would be this off season. And on Bull Horvat, it's in the new year. And Frank mentioned as close as possible to the deadline. You and I have talked about this. I think the organization would like to get ahead of it if possible, but they're not getting ahead of it and taking less. If they're getting ahead of it and trading him, say, in Feb, because they know they're not signing him, is because the team is giving you what you're looking for. So it's the same question. Yeah, like uh, similar to what I asked Frank, right? Um, you know, I, I would argue Bo Horvat's highest value moment will be March 3rd when you've gone through the entire season, you've paid out a great deal of the contract. I think there would only be $1.2 million left. Yeah. And, again, as teams accumulate cap space and, and cash spending – you're taking on that last little bit, and then you retain half of that. So we're talking about 600-some-odd thousand that is left on the deal at the last 40-some-odd days of the season. It becomes way more palatable for teams across the league to say, hey, we can fit this in now because we've had injuries, because yeah. we've accrued cap space, and now this is our opportunity. And that's the equation for the Vancouver Canucks. Hey, we have a March 3rd price that makes sense for everyone. If we're on February 9th, are you willing to pay the price that's going to happen a, year, a month from now, three weeks from now? And if you're doing so, okay, we can execute a deal now. But And, and here comes where that the, the timing, but also the risk assessment from the Canucks' point of view of 
there's a while to get to March 3rd. Yes. Do you risk an injury? Well, it is. That's the thing. And that's why you're open to it. I think ultimately you want to get ahead of some some of these things. And until you get some money off your books, it's going to be hard for you to move some of these other guys out. The the guy who hasn't been talked about a lot is Connor Garland. Mm-hmm. And we'll see ultimately what, what his situation is like. If we're looking at the team trying to move somebody for just to get the money off their books, I think Garland's the more likely candidate. Like if like I don't know if they want to do the Gar- you know best for an, for straight up a expiring. Mm-hmm. I think they'd rather get something. I think what Garland's the interesting one is he the guy that you you're willing to just get rid get the money out because that's the guy. If you get the money out, at least you feel good about signing Kuzmenko. Yeah, and and the Kuzmenko contract comparables we've talked about a little bit. It's going to be in that range, most it, likely, it, it, unless he gets like over sixty points. Yeah, the, the, it just makes so much sense that it's exactly that contract, and and you can go through it as finding you know looking for contract comps. It's it's like Yanni Gord would be the very very high end, but Mikheyev is the one that makes sense. Uh, Mason Marchment yeah. just got a four year, four and a half million dollar deal at age twenty seven. Guess what age Kuzmenko is going to be. And, and guess what contract makes the most sense? 19 some odd million dollars. Like somewhere between March and Mikheyev makes the most sense. That's why I said the on the high end, on a four-year deal, you're looking at probably something like $22 million total. So just a shade over $5 million. Mm-hmm. And f- even if he gets 60, I think that's where it's at. For him to get $6 million and above, I think he's got to get like close to 70 points, hit 30 goals. Then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, the leverage. But because you only have one year... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's hard basement? to get you know the, the money you might be usually earmarked for if you had a couple more years. If you had two more years of experience, even at just okay NHL play, I think it would have been easier for him to get the big contract after after one year. It's tough after one year to get the $6 million plus deal. Let me put it to you this way. The basement is probably the Alex Iafalo contract, four years, $16 million, four per year. That's yeah. probably the basement. If something goes yes. remarkably wrong these next 50... If he hits, 40, if he hits 45 points, it's going to be four times four. Yeah. And the ceiling is probably, to what you said, $20 million. Yeah. I, I think that's the ceiling, and it probably makes the most sense. I think that's probably where, where, what you're looking at for Kuzmenko. So we'll see where it goes on the Carlin, uh, on uh, the Garland one. Now, the other thing that you know we talked to Frank about was he, one thing that Frank mentioned, I think this is worth illuminating on the Bull Horvat situation, that he heard a rumor, and he couldn't substantiate it one way or another, that there was some sort of circling back or some discussions between the Canucks and Bo Horvat's representatives about a contract, and essentially it went nowhere again. So even if you're looking at it, and I mentioned last week, the organization hasn't closed the door on signing Bo Horvat. And like Frank mentioned, if it's true that they circled back on the weekend, like I mentioned last week, you're still a desire to talk and discuss and see where things are at. Cordial. But the, the gap, the gulf, I should say, is still sizable there. And as long as it's sizable, it, it doesn't look like it's trending in that direction. And that's what Elliot Friedman mentioned today. It doesn't look like a contract's likely. And I almost just wonder, too, Sat, if like once you miss the point of the preseason talk, right, does it make sense for either side to talk right now? Well, like, realistically, if, if you're the Horvat camp well, and you're yes. scoring all these goals, you're just like, why don't we just wait another seven weeks and get to February and as we get closer to March 3rd, if we're still scoring at this ridiculous rate, then there's no sense in even trying to shortchange ourselves. Because what if you can push this number even higher and you start clipping towards 35 and 40 goals? Like if Bo Horvath's at 40, sorry, 35 goals in late February, which is suddenly a realistic proposition, that like you can demand so much on the open market. Yes. Why not just extend this as long as possible? 
Well, if he comes off a 40-goal year, somebody's throwing some ridiculous money at him in free agency. And so, like, here on December 5th, does it even make sense for the Horvat camp to be... Uh, unless... Unless you get the number. Again, do you, hit, do you reach our number? Which but, is the, like right now, but why even shortchange yourself? Like at, right now, he's on a, a certain pace. The further you go along to confirm that pace, that number itself is going to get higher and higher. It will, but if you're getting, like, let's say, if you're getting the Rupe Hints offer, you're taking it. I don't think it's worth it. I don't think, the Canucks have zero interest in paying that. I'm not yeah. saying. I would never do that. But if, they, if the Canucks go and offer him $65 million or $67 mm-hmm. million, he's not saying no to that. Because what's the high end in free agency? That's probably the number you're looking at, sure. maybe slightly higher. So why not just take it now before something happens? So I think those are numbers I think they would say yes to. I don't think Vancouver has any interest in it. My question has always been, Bick, are they willing to go to the JT money? And if they are, would both say yes to that? Which 56 is million. $56 million. Now, do you go 7 times 8, 8 times 7, however you want to fudge the numbers, you know, the same total money. Like, to me, that would be the high end of what they would do. And I'm not even sure they would want to do that yeah. because you, you already slotted JT ahead of him. So now you're going to pay Bo as much as JT? From a planning sense, if you're putting the pieces together, it doesn't look like something, that's something they want, would want, want to do. But that's a question I kind of have. Man, they have, so, they, they have so many options available to them. Yes. But, um, but you need, you need to Sorry. Like, I shouldn't say so many options because it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of limited. Um, the, the machinations in which you can create this next roster are very fascinating too. Yes. Because there's the contract version of it, and I want to be clear about this too. It's like you can sign him right now and still fit him under the cap for next season. You can't sign Kuzmenko. It though. just limits yes. what how you intend to make improvements. That's the issue. Exactly, and that's that's what we've always said. There's money right now for you to sign Bo Horvat, and you you do you have the money to extend them. It's just you're limited in doing everything else that you want to do. Heck, you probably sign him and Kuzmenko as well. You could do that. You could probably you could probably sign both I think of those you could, guys, yeah. and you might have to buy somebody out. And I'm not even talking OEL. You might have to do something minor, like maybe you buy out Pierce. Like there, there is something you can do something relatively minor to get both guys fitted in, but you can't do anything else. And the reason I brought this up is how can talks go anywhere? Uh, they they need to free up money to sign him again. The the freeing up money is about do you actually want to make improvements to the roster so, as well? So you, if basically what the point is, this team everybody agrees is not good enough. Mm-hmm. Everyone agrees this team needs more. Which by the way, just to illustrate that point, Bruce Boudreau has now coached eighty two games after Saturday. Yes, this it's a year anniversary. They are seventeenth in points percentage. Seven. So that and in the Western Conference they are what tenth. So they are still two points out of a playoff spot in the West. Based on two how spots, they, yeah. two spots. Based on how they played in 82 games under Bruce Boudreau, it's not good enough. Like your 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 fringe team on your bubble team that's capped out. So if the best you can do with a bubble team that's capped out is bring everybody back, it's, it's, it doesn't make logical sense. So that's the whole argument. You have the money to sign both. It's just do you have you don't have money to do anything else beyond that. And is it worth throwing more assets away and you know bending backwards to keep the same core intact? And then not only do you keep the core intact for this year and next year, you're talking about limiting your options to do anything else long term as well. So th- that's where it comes. That's what it comes down to. At some point, you have to grow, and this team right now is stuck in a spot where you have to make a very unpopular decision. Yes, uh, like potentially trading the captain uh, amid some other unpopular moves uh, too. Sad because this regime came in and said, "Yeah, we're going to do some unpopular things." Uh, and honestly, like we were talking about this Horvat contract, and some texts are coming in about Miller, and it's like, well, something you look at, and it's like, well, that was an unpopular move. Signing JT was unpopular. Trading Bull would be unpopular. 
So the, this management group, uh, are they willing to absorb some short-term negativity for uh, what they might believe is uh, long-term gain? A lot of people are saying, what does that plan look like, though? Let, let us see you executing that Sure. Plan. Uh, all right, great stuff here on the Vancouver Canucks. And as always, Canucks Central is on top of all your topics. Uh, before we get out, uh, and we are going to get to Don Taylor next segment, uh, Bick, I want to spend a couple of minutes on what you and Randy Janda were up to on the weekend at Matt Busy Day. Public House at Cascades Casino in Delta yesterday. Busy Our day, good friends. Yeah. A lot of listeners came out. I big, wish I could have made it out. I was I was just way too exhausted. Yesterday. Big shout out to everyone coming by and and great stuff by all the staff there at Match Eatery. Uh, it was great meeting everyone and uh, a, a lot of new converts to 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 Randy. Randeep's uh, Dud Soda. Oh, well, yes. He broke that out there. And, and yeah, it was, it was really great over at Matt Rudy at uh, Cascades Casino in Delta, uh, giving some stuff away as well. Uh, and, and, you know, just having conversations with Canuck fans and football fans and the, the daily passion that we see in the inbox, just experiencing that live again and, and going out to these events again post-pandemic or in this stage of the pandemic and uh, just, just seeing how, pe- how fired up people get and, and, and talking to Canucks fans, it's, it's, it's always a blast. So, again, shout-out to everyone there. Uh, the, the, it looks like a fantastic uh, place to watch your Sunday football. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was great just talking to Canucks fans there yesterday. Yeah, oh, I, and a lot of Canucks fans, they're probably happy to take their minds off the Canucks for the weekend, <laughs> even though they went on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, 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 was, there was a couple of moments where it's like, we're, you know, watching football yeah, games and Seahawks are on, game, Mahomes yeah. is on, Burrow is on, and you just talk to people. It's like, yeah, you know, Geno Smith is doing so great. And it's like... Hey, so the uh, Canucks game, and just like the the the, the face would would turn. It's like, oh yeah, the Canucks—they got to do this, they got to do that, and uh, it, all of a sudden it was, the it mood changes. Yeah, the it's mood like, don't changes. ruin the mood, man. Don't ruin the mood. <laughs> it's uh, so funny. All right, the Vancouver Canucks ruining the mood at Match Eatery in Public House. <laughs> no, but but great scenes. Not at all. Uh, shouts to uh, all our listeners, of course, to, to get out there and obviously our good friends at Match Eatery in Public House at. Cascades Casino in Delta. It is Canuck Central, Satyar Shah with Bick Nazar. Our good friend Don Taylor, he's next right here on the Home of Your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. It is Canuck Central on the road from the Kintech studio. Satyar Shah with Bik Nazar. And this hour is always brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Our good friend Don Taylor is going to drop by in a couple of minutes, and we'll get into everything going on with your favorite hockey team. And uh, we've covered quite a bit of ground on the show today, talking about all the usual suspects, signing and trade-wise. Running like a half marathon so far. We have. We covering have. that ground. A, a lot to get to. A, a lot verbal to get half to. marathon. A verbal half marathon. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying things. You're just, you're just making stuff up now. <laughs> well, we have seven hours to go. <laughs> we do. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for it. <laughs> I'm excited for it. No, I mean, honestly, today's show like wrote itself. Oh, yeah. Coming off the weekend, the whole Brock Besser situation. The Canucks didn't play well against Arizona, but they were able to find a way to win that hockey game. And the fact they won the hockey game actually created, um, I think, more of a more of an opportunity to talk to Besser thing. Because you lose, it becomes still becomes a greater team oh, issue man. thing. So I think it allowed the Besser thing to really shine. Because the most interesting like, – I'm, I'm pro-interesting, right? Interesting, I'm pro-interesting. Yes. And uh, a, a loss to Arizona – 
wouldn't have been as interesting because the Besser thing was the most interesting thing. That, that Yes, it was. But the way the Canucks were trending that game before the third yeah. period, it could have been very embarrassing. All right, uh, let's welcome in our good friend Don Taylor from Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV, Monday to Friday, 10 to noon. And it's always a pleasure getting you on the show here, Donnie. And, and never a shortage of topics when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks. And I mean, one game on the weekend, but infinite storylines. Yeah, you said it. I mean, you know, if they had lost that game, yeah, bad and certainly something to talk about. You know, losing to Arizona at home um, during what's been a pretty disappointing homestand before that anyway, that would have been a big story. But this thing with Brock Besser is just like, what a soap opera. Uh, that was that was enough to chew on for a long time. Well, it was. And, you know, on, on the Besser front, like, what was your overarching takeaway about how that entire situation unfolded? It's supposed to be a healthy scratch. Then Dakota Joshua mysteriously picks up an ailment after taking a nap. And we, we've all slept funny and woken up not feeling great. But uh, I, I don't know how often it happens ahead of a National Hockey League game. Although Brent Sopel did throw his back out picking up an animal cracker once. So I guess anything yeah, yeah. Is, is possible when it comes to pregame injuries. But well, what do you make of how that all unfolded and, and where we are today with the whole Brock Besser situation? Well, uh, good on you for remembering the Sopel incident. That's one of the all-time, uh, all-time great Canuck I- I- injuries. That's, that's yeah. outstanding. You remember that? Uh, you know, yeah, sure. A lot of us wake up and maybe you know our leg is, you know, you know, you you sleep on your leg or you fall asleep. We're not pro athletes. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not <laughs> doubting yeah. anything. I guess I am. I, you know, and tinfoil hats was, on, Donnie. Tinfoil hats yeah. on. Yeah, he was skating today, so read into that what you want. But I think what it speaks of is that I believe Bruce that maybe he, you know, when he first made the decision, he, he wasn't, you know, didn't realize the the weight of the day or didn't even know about it. But what does that speak to? Does that not speak to um, some sort of miscommunication or lack of communication between management and coaches? It might, and if that's the case, that's pretty bad. It's just another another layer on the mess that is this. Uh, this awful season as we sit here a, a, a year away from when um, or the one year anniversary of Jim Benning and, and Travis Green's firing. It just, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, another lay. It's not icing on the cake, but certainly another layer. But Donnie, isn't the easier thing to just play better and it's not an issue? Like why leave it to coaches and management to, to, to have your say in the lineup? If you're just playing better, you're in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that's that 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 sh- that should be the case. But uh, how, how many how many guys are really playing better? If that's what you're getting at, like how yeah. many guys are you know? Do you really really have confidence in? Certainly Hor- Horvat, uh, Pedersen, uh, Quinn Hughes. Um, uh, although I'm not sure of his situation today, you guys can update. Now, I've been doing Christmas lights, okay, so I'm a little <laughs> bit uh, out of date here. Well, what's the setup? Are you a uh, LED light guy? You show the old school screw, screw the bulb well, in kind of guy. Well, who? Come on, who's doing that? Who's not doing LED lights? Uh, oh, I'll, I'll just making sure you're you're with the times. Yeah. You know, it, okay. it, it costs well, money to. Donnie's not that old. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, is this a shot at my age? Listen, I a little bit. Yeah, you can still buy replacement <laughs> lights. <laughs> That's fine. I've heard it all. But now I went through the era where you you, know, you put your lights up on a tree or even worse, somewhere around your driveway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the old bulbs used to break, you know, so you'd have to replace them and put your life in danger trying to get the thing out of the socket. But anyway, where were we with the Canucks? Plus we're on the, the ones, lights, hang on, you know? like the light strands where if one bulb goes out, they all go out oh, and you yeah. don't oh. know which one it is. Oh, well, that just still the worst. Happens. That's still, that still happens. But this is a mark improvement. And then, of course, there was the... There was the era where the LED lights first came out. They weren't very bright. 
don't know if you guys yes. remember that. It was a short I, era. But I, I worked retail selling was, Christmas lights. I very much remember when they first oh, came out. It was, it was a short era, but it was it was really frustrating because it was supposed to be better. Now we're on, we're on the right uh, yeah. track. And we're uh, doing a good job of avoiding the Canucks here. It's excellent. Yeah, it has been fantastic. I was Br- interested in the home setup. I think it is in- It yeah. is interesting. Um, bringing it back to the harsh Canucks reality, however. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, we were, we were talking off air about this, and playing devil's advocate for a second, because I'm also trying to make sense of why does the organization not buy into Bruce Boudreaux? And part of what we've heard, too, and this is the general you know c- criticism of Bruce, has kind of been like he's not really a details guy coaching-wise. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. you know happy-go-lucky guy, a, maybe slightly aloof or whatever, not a systems guy. Like, could this situation, if you're looking at your management's point of view, maybe be viewed as this is why he's not our guy to some extent, like to let this situation unfold the way it unfolded, not being a part of the details, the lineup decisions and everything. And as much as Bruce had a lot of success here over the last 82 games now when we look at it, they're on pace to be the 17th best team in the NHL. So still on the outside yeah. Looking in, this is this is 82 games with Bruce Boudreaux. Like, can we look at this as maybe a blemish on Boudreaux's resume, which obviously we've defended quite a bit this year because he is not the true issue with the organization. Yeah, I think it, it's definitely going that way. And I, I got to think that it must be that there has to be a personality situation. I, I just I, I'm just guessing here, but but and I say that because when somebody says, "Well, you, you know, that he's not a he's not an ex of those guys." guy you, you 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 know you can't ha- have that or the other way around he's not enough of a, a player's coach well you can surround yourself with people who are you know the it's not the old days when you had no assistant coach or one assistant coach you can surround yourself with x's and o's guys and from what i understand of mike yo he, he's like that there are others that they've had in the past other coaches um you know with or without boudreaux they you can surround yourself with p- people who can address your weaknesses, can make up for your weaknesses. So when I, when I you know, hear Rutherford criticize Boudreaux in so many words, I, I always think to myself, or I have begun to think to myself, well, it's, it's got to be personality because, or, you know, just a condemnation of the entire coaching staff, which they reworked this year, right? Uh, so I, I got to think it's some sort of, personality conflict that we don't know about maybe we'll find out about because the structure and the x's and o's you can get people to help that out if you're if you're a structure and x's and o head coach and you're not a uh, you know a people friendly head coach or player friendly head coach you can get somebody to help you with that so and and the other theory that's going out there and you guys are both on twitter but you read a lot not a lot but some of well maybe you know rutherford was doing this to to light a fire under the players' butts in order to support their head coach. So there's all sorts of stuff out there, but I, I'm beginning to think this is this has got to be just personalities here. Sack, kind of mentioned the record. It, it is you know uh, 364 yeah. days since Bruce has arrived. Uh, now that you have a year scope to, to look at what he's done, how do you view uh, uh, what Bruce has done here in Vancouver? Well, I mean, his record is a winning record when you look at, you know, over the course of the 364 days. So th- there is that. But I just uh, I just can't help but think that he ended last season looking like a pretty good NHL coach, especially when you consider playoffs aside, which is fairly important. I get that. When you consider his entire his entire record during during the regular season. One of the most winningest head coaches in in regular season history in the National Hockey League. Now, so you you get to where we are now, and 
you know, people are now questioning Bruce as a head coach. I can't help but think that that public criticism, veiled criticism, but criticism, I can't help but think that's had an effect on his coaching in that if, if I'm a player and I don't, I know management, well-respected management, at least at mm-hmm. first when they came to Vancouver, if they don't, if they don't respect Bruce Boudreaux, why should I as a player? I, so I still have respect, and I still believe Bruce Boudreaux is a good coach, but I think that everything that's happening, everything that's happened, uh, first and foremost, the public criticism has had an effect on the way he could do his job. I still respect him as a coach. Yeah, I think uh, you look at what Bruce Boudreaux has done. I mean, it's hard to be overly critical of Bruce Boudreaux, and that's why it's been fascinating to see such a disconnect between him and management when it comes to the job he's done and where that's kind of trending. And and as far as the big player we're still trying to find out about, and that is Bull Horvat, of course, with his contract yeah. situation. And I know Elliot Friedman mentioned today that maybe it is more likely he gets traded than signed, which is kind of where it's been trending. Uh, what are, What is your sense about this? Because I know you and Dolly talked about it quite a bit today as well yeah and, and when, it, when it comes to Bo Horvat there's one day that I can't get out of my head and that was quite recently um when when Jim Rutherford said something to the effect of yeah well, well you know if he he plays well it's it's going to mean we're going to have to pay him a lot of money or and I'm paraphrasing here or it means his value is going to go up in a trade mm-hmm. and I just sort of found that kind of you know somewhat negative in terms of you know, um, saying that you're going to deal away your, your, your captain, although it is it, it has happened in the past with with unrestricted free agents. I get that. And I, I can't get that out of my head. So when I hear something like I did today from Elliot, I'm not I'm not surprised at all. It is a possibility. I mean, and, and you know, for people who think that's awful. Well, you know, what's awful, what's the worst situation is him leaving and them getting nothing. So I think mean, most people would be OK with it because people have seen that before. What do you want to see in the next like seven, eight? nine weeks you know like like leading up into march 3rd well i i've, I've gone on record a lot and I, and uh, you know what's funny i took friday off and uh, i i was suffering from the flu or you know oh, whatever's nasty going, around. going around yeah oh it's just terrible i'm involved with the minor hockey team and the whole team has got it and i got it mm-hmm. anyway it was uh, so so i take friday off and i we received a lot of messages in our inbox and email today saying, thank God Taylor's not there because we don't want to hear two hours of screaming about a rebuild. So, <laughs> I, I, and, and, you know, I've, I've backed, my, I've tried to explain myself a million times on this show and other shows. I want to see some sort of focus, and I'd love to see the focus be, even though I know Pedersen's great and Hughes is great, but I don't know if those guys want to be here much longer. It just focus on, it just gives, I know it doesn't always work. It hasn't worked necessarily in Buffalo and hasn't worked in Edmonton. Looks like it's working in Detroit, maybe Chicago, but you haven't done it here. You haven't, you haven't tried it here. Everything else is just, you know, screams towards mediocrity. Give it a shot. So I would like to see them just focus on something, preferably a rebuild and go from there. And, you know, as far as Thatcher Demko is concerned, I know Elliot also kind of wondered, is he a guy they may be looking to move if you're looking at a longer-term approach? And I'll believe that when I see it, you know, like as far as trading Demko goes. But it is also interesting because he has struggled so far this year that him being out for six weeks has been kind of a minor storyline, especially after the weekend and all the Besser stuff. Well, that's a that's a great point. Again, it's something I'll I'll be borrowing tomorrow for our our show. But like, think about it. And like, no, We're really just show think, prep for you, aren't we, Donnie? I, I well, of course. Every Tuesday, it's basically you guys, and then you know, and then somehow we get paid. 
But I mean, <laughs> think about it. They've, they've lost Thatcher Demko yeah. for six weeks, and you're bang on. Nobody's talking about it. Like very, this is this is the guy. You know, he basically kept you in things last year, and he goes out for six weeks, and and I know he's been struggling, but that that should be a massive story. But everything else that's going on, you know, led by Besser and the fact, that, you know, and then there's the, you know, the the, the Besser story and the Horvat story. There's it, it's way down the list, and really nobody would have guessed that at the beginning of the year. You lose your your guy, your goalie. The reason you won games, the main reason you won games, uh, so many games last year after Boudreaux started, he's out and nobody's really talking about it. That's a great point. I, I imagine you probably respect or really respect Luke Shen's game and, you know, j- just the way he's okay, gone about. Okay, hold on a second here. Now, that's a shot at me being old. He's, no, that's he's a shot at him playing tough. And he puts on he, – he, from that's what I hear – That's a shot at him Luke playing uses, tough and constantly evolving. Yeah. Luke, Luke uses the old Christmas bulbs. Yes, exactly. I understand where you're coming from. Well, who doesn't respect Luke Shen? I mean, we went through the list today of players. Like, like who who represents a positive story on the Canucks right now? There's oh, yeah, Hughes hard, yeah. and Shen, and that's about it. And I yeah. love the way Shen plays old school. And, and, and you know, because even Horvat, yeah, 19 goals, but, you know, who knows where he's going. Pedersen, does he want to stick around? You know, only a couple of years before his contract is up. So even the guys who are playing well re- represent somewhat of a, ne- a negative story. But here's what I really respect with Luke Shen. Yes, the way he plays, old school, all that, but also because he was a high draft pick. Mm-hmm. And he's had to adjust his game and stick around in the NHL after going down to the minors in, in San Diego when he was with the Anaheim franchise. And, 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 and rework his game, focused on being more physical, old school. Not many guys like that in the NHL anymore. And he's not only managed to survive, but get himself a get himself a couple of Stanley Cups, and and become a real leader in, in the National Hockey League wherever he goes, whether it's Tampa or Vancouver or wherever. And you know, to to the point where the Canucks might either you know extend him or get something for him. He's pretty valuable. I, I love guys like that that realize that, you know what, what I was doing before isn't working. I have to forget about the fact I'm a high draft pick, and I have to just work on survival. And not only is he surviving, but I think he's thriving. And mm-hmm. you just saw him in the – I don't know if you guys saw him on Twitter um, getting the title belt uh, from Pedersen the other night against Arizona. And just the way he talked to the room, you could just tell he, he – I'm not saying he owns it, but he's a, certainly an important part of it. Just a great player. Well, and I wonder if the timeline isn't a rebuild completely, then I think if you're trading Bull Horvat, I can see why they want to hold on to him. If you're not fully rebuilding, you're trading a leader, you probably want to hold on to, you know, um, uh, yeah. Luke Shen's leadership. So I can see that happening. I think the best case scenario is trading him, then signing him back in the off season. But, you know. The, the point I was going to make, Donnie, is you're among fellow admirers of Luke Shen's game, but even you that says, hey, I want to rebuild, like it might come at a cost to say, hey, we can't maximize maximize an asset for Luke Shen because it, it's worth retaining him too. Well, I think if there's one veteran in the league, I mean, there's more than one, but one that, you know, has a possibility of sticking around or, um, you know, being an important member of the organization, like Luke Shen has got a couple of Stanley coverings. Um, he he probably realizes as much as anything his value to this organization. You still want veterans around, and can you honestly see Luke Shen if he were to sign a contract uh, ex- a contract extension here in Vancouver? Can you see him rocking the boat 
or causing problems. I no. think he'd be a guy who would who would thrive, who would love it. Look, I know we're rebuilding here or we're turning things. I'm, I want to be a leader. I want to be part of this. I want to be at the root of this if it does turn around. I think he would love that. And the other thing with Luke Chen, and I know I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe you guys know more, but I know what I saw. And the, the day that him and Miller, Miller went at it, I think it was after the second period. I think it was the Buffalo game. I think I think it was the home opener. And and just the way Shen kind of took control and gave Miller the what for. And and I just thought to myself, man, that's a guy you want. It's that you need that guy. And I'm not saying JT Miller is a bad guy by any, by any stretch of the imagination. I just re- really respected that old school moment where, you know, Luke Shen, you know, took charge where I think, you know, my, my sense of it is that JT Miller was ripping into somebody and Luke Shen took over and said, Hey, look, we're all to blame. Let's talk about it. I just, I just love that moment. He's a guy you, you want in your, in your locker room and on the ice. Well, just like Luke Shen, Donnie, you just evolve and get better with age. So yeah. that's what we're talking about here more now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously you didn't see our inbox today. So, but I thank you. <laughs> well, I no, you've got led that. lights now. So yeah. there you go. Evolving. There, and yeah. Getting <laughs> better with the go. age. Well, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll make sure I mention that on, on tomorrow's show. Maybe more people will like me then. <laughs> hey, Don, Donnie, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for your time. Always fun guys. Thank right. you. you. You got it. That is Don Taylor from Donnie and Dolly. Check TV Monday to Friday with Rick Dollywall, 10 to noon. Uh, and, Bick, we were, we were talking about Bruce Boudreaux, and you mentioned 82 games now for Bruce Boudreaux as a Canuck head coach. And the record, while it is you know above 500, it is in the, in the what? what 97 is, points. 97 points, 80, which is, in most years, that is good enough to get into the playoffs. But one thing we noticed last year was the playoff bar has increased. And if you look at the playoff bar this year as well, once we see what happens in the West, it could be similar, perhaps a little bit less. But just but, to illuminate. But, yes, to illuminate. Over those 282 games, where, where would that rank? In points percentage, because that's more important, folks, uh, <laughs> that is 17th in the league, and that is 10th in the Western Conference. So the Canucks are not a playoff team in 82 games with Bruce Boudreau. Over this span. Over this span, per points percentage. Yes. So Which... it shows you that... It, Everybody agrees Boudreaux has been the best coach they've had and it's, under with this core. It's okay to say Boost Boudreaux is a good coach, and it's also okay is to say has he merited and earned the extension to say he's your guy completely moving forward. And I can understand it from management's point of view to say, let's just wait this out. Yeah. And if we're not committed, we're not committed. It's okay, it's okay not to double down right now because what are we looking at? We're looking at the 17th best team right now. I I agree. I'm I tend to look at the Boudreaux uh, situation like you and say because of the Canucks not having this identity and the system they can fall back on. That's a big issue yeah. and it, and you have to figure that out long term whether that's on Boudreaux or not. To me there's a legitimate reason for you wanting a different coach. And if you want to look at what's happened this year, you could say, like Donnie mentioned, did you poison the well because you made it so acrimonious publicly about not liking your coach and all the things you're pointing out? And does that make it look like he's a lame duck and everything? Did you contribute to this? I think that's a fair question to ask. Sure, but it's not as if like their decision to bring Boudreaux was theirs. It, was, it predated them. Yeah, but, but I'm saying, like, did, did they help? Did they give him... Did they poison the well with the coach because of how little trust they showed in him publicly? 
I guess you can make that criticism, but outside of that, Bic, sure. I, th- I think my, the point I'm trying to make here is yeah. I'm getting to it. I'm saying what I'm giving you is I'm giving you the out for Boudreaux here and yeah. saying, okay, it's not on him because there is stuff you can criticize him for. Well, this year, like the Besser thing to me, like if people think Besser was mishandled, and, and that's fair to say, like, if you're going to scratch Besser, don't scratch him on Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Like, if, you, if there's one game you don't scratch him for, to me, that's not a management decision. To me, that's on the coach. So the coach missed that opportunity. And if the coach is regretful for missing that, that's on the coach. And if you are th- of the mind, like the front office has said, he's not a details guy, and maybe there is a belief, and I'm not reporting this, but you know, you kind of wonder, like, he's a bit of an aloof guy, you mm-hmm. know, maybe seen as a little bit messy here and there, rough around the edges. He's not the, you know, tie down, button down, do, th- do things by the book, new age type of coach, old school type of guy, you know what I mean? Missing these types of things is, is, are these details missed? Yes, and I think you can point to that and say this is a mess that was created because the coach wasn't aware of what was going on. And this is another reason why we feel like this team isn't learning details. They don't learn a system, and these are the reasons why we don't believe in this coach. Because I think if you want to make that argument, this is a situation you can point to and make that argument. Uh, the thing I was going to say when you said uh, did you poison the well, I, w- I would ask, well, how valuable was the well? If it gets poisoned that easily. No, like, how valuable is the water in the well if, if this group is like, well, we, we're trying to as best as we can. It's like, if the, if the water is the players, well, I mean, the how rebu- valuable is the well, well that you let it get well, poisoned? The rebuttal would be that you're stress-testing your guys and they're failing. Yeah. Right? You can say that. You, the, you're the reason Bruce came in is because they already failed multiple tests. For sure. But, I mean, it was like, hey, you guys came back, and it was like, we're going to rattle your cage because we didn't think it was as impressive as you guys think. So let's see how these guys respond. They didn't respond. Is poisoning the well that big of a deal when you're just going to seal the well off anyways? <laughs> You're going to fill it with concrete no matter what? Like, yeah, it's over. Building a new one. This yeah. is over. <laughs> Don't mind the process yeah. of us poisoning it first. Well, I think part of it, it does it does show that, you know. But, I, you know, because people love doing the, hey, 82 games, look at the goal scoring rate and look at this and look at what Bruce, Bruce did over 57. I think when you look at the over the 82, you know, sample now, the game sample, it's, it's not what it was last year. And you're starting to see the flaws. And I don't think Boudreaux is the culprit here. Like, Again, like I don't think anything he's done is a fireball offense. Yeah, it's not his fault. This core sucks or has been underachieving mm-hmm. this season. But he's not a guy that I think makes sense to commit to long term. And and the determination of why of Bruce's assets and failures now versus a year ago from from, from today is different. Because a year ago he was brought in, hey, salvage fifty seven games. And what's the thing we talk about, Bruce? Great regular season coach. Yeah, it was very much caretaker. Just just. Stabilize the season because it was so bad. If you're making the determination of, hey, this is the guy long term, you have to ask different questions. I didn't care about Bruce Boudreaux's playoff record last year, this time last year, because it was about 57 games. And let's get a proper evaluation of what these players are. If you're making a commitment to Bruce and say, hey, we're going to flip this around pretty quickly and you're our guy, suddenly all those questions that have come up from before of Bruce's playoff record are way more relevant now. And if I'm the management group, that's the question I want to ask answered and asked every single time. If we're going to win the Stanley Cup, are you the coach to do it? And all those details, all those matchup minutes, how you play the lines, all that stuff matters because you're asking a different question if you sign Bruce now. Yes. And I think we're seeing enough things to say it's justifiable not to bring Bruce back. 
and for him not to be the guy long term. I think that's always been justifiable. I think the biggest criticism you can make is how it's been handled overall. And was it constructive for a guy who's done everything you could ask for in in the job he's been asked to do to put him under the fire the way he was put under the fire? I think that's the biggest problem people have with it. It's like, why are you going after Bruce? Like, why is he the guy you're going after? He hasn't, like, he's not the guy who's been here for the failings in the past. Like, if anything, he's the guy who's done the best with this core so far. So why is he the one? But it's like, there are more than one thing. There's more than one thing going on here. Okay, we talk about this. How many cards do you as a manager, management group want to play? Yeah. I'm saving those cards for as long as I can. Man, there might be a $19 million buyout. I'm, I'm waiting to play that card before I talk about a Bruce Boudreau card. Oliver ekman Larson. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. If you have to make big decisions, are you going to do an unpopular one in, in releasing Bruce Boudreau? Or are you going to say, hey, ownership, in the summer, we're going to play a card that means $19 million. And by the way, like we're going to hire a coach, but I, w- I want to play this bio card. That's a big card to play. It's a really big one to play. And we'll see ultimately where this all goes. It's a Fascinating times for the Vancouver Canucks. Trades, are they imminent? It doesn't seem like it, but we will stay on top of things as we promised. Um, now coming up, we are going to get to the pregame show coming up in just about 30 minutes time for Canucks and Habs. Puck drop just after 7.30 here on Sports 650. Batch and Randy have the call. Coming up next, we'll give you the latest on the lineup and who's playing and who's not playing for the Montreal Canadiens. If you missed it, we'll replay a chunk of what Frank Cervalli had to say about the trade market in your Vancouver Canucks as Canucks Central rolls on on Sportsnet 650.